Imagine building a more successful hypnosis business just in the next 10 days. To learn how, please visit worksmarthypnosis.com and take the 10-day hypnosis business challenge. Yours free today. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Imagine yourself speaking so much more clearly, so much more concisely as you fold hypnotic language, hypnotic patterns into your presentations. Welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here, Work Smart Hypnosis. Here we go with part two of Hypnotic Tips for Public Speaking. This is session number 14. Make sure you remember that number, session number 14, because at the end of this presentation, I'm actually going to make some really interesting resources available to you. So let's jump back in. Let's kind of review quickly, though, what was there in part one. I'll just reference the headers. You can go back and listen to that, session number 13, all about pacing and leading interaction, building rapport with your group, using what I call the movie formula to begin to draw the audience in, delaying your introduction until they care who you are, handling disruptions gracefully, using your NLP representational systems, as well as reviewing the order of your content. That way, the information slowly unveils in the most appropriate manner. Again, if I haven't introduced myself, I'm Jason Lynette. This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 14, Hypnotic Pit Tips for Public Speaking, Part 2. Here we go. Let's jump right back in. Let's actually add one more in. I just kind of fumbled my words there, but I kept going. Now, except for the fact that I'm stopping and pointing it out, um, don't do that. Yet, it's just something that people do. Sometimes we're thinking a little bit faster than we can speak. Sometimes if it's someone like me, I get a little excited in terms of my presentation and it's so much information to begin to share, uh, which may be specifically why I'm working from a series of notes right now. So let's jump right in with part two, more tips, hypnotic tips for public speaking. Beginning with one which I hinted at in the last recording, yet it's something that I've got a bit of a passion for speaking about. Um, What if you'd like to get out and give some public speaking, yet you're afraid of doing it? Ooh, you've got a fear of public speaking. Well, I'm usually rather bold about this at hypnosis conventions by pointing out you're in a room with about 30 or 40 people who can help you with that. You're at an event with hundreds, if not thousands of people who can help you out with that. Even if it's a local meetup, look around the room, find someone you trust, pay them for your for their services and work with them. You know, be your own best example. Work on the issues that you'd like to address. Uh, I got a whole lot more of that coming along the way in a couple of weeks as well. I got some stories to share with you specifically on that. So, you know, if you'd like to do it with self-hypnosis, you can. Um, Bring yourself into a state of hypnosis and then begin to connect with your own future success. You know, the classic model of create the movie screen and then up on the movie screen, place yourself. There you are speaking, feeling, responding as you'd like it to be. If that seems a little hard to grab onto, make it someone you respect, an actor, politician, someone you look up to, and then slowly begin to change that image into yourself. So you can work on it on your own. Although, um, hey, why not? Uh, As we're all successful, we're all successful. Hire a hypnotist, work with them on that as well. Uh, I, I would very boldly make this statement. If you've got your own issues and you're not willing to address them with hypnosis, I got some issues with you doing hypnosis. Practice what you preach. And even I've gone to 
hypnotist for various instances as well. Let's move on from that. And this comes into the themes of uh, tonality and pausing and voice. Now, there's a wonderful movie that I absolutely love. It's called Waiting for Guffman. And if you've ever seen Spinal Tap or Best in Show, uh, what was the new one? For Your Consideration. These were the movies that are mostly improvisational in nature. Uh, the actor, director, Christopher Guest, along with people like Harry Shearer, um, who's, um, who is he? Various voices on The Simpsons, plus Eugene Levy. Uh, the premise of these films is that they start with an outline. They have a basic character description, and then they turn the cameras on and they shoot. So these are movies. Imagine the editing project of taking 30 hours of footage and sanding it down to a 90-minute movie. And specifically, there's a movie called Waiting for Guffman, and it really proves the statement that if you're going to make a movie about bad actors, you have to make it with really good actors. And it's just fabulous. There's a line, though, that I love, and it's uh, the comic actor Eugene Levy being interviewed. Um, actually, that format of what we now see with the TV show The Office and Parks and Rec of that mockumentary, these are the people who invented that. This is where it all comes from. So it's a mixture of scenes and interviews and so forth. But there's a scene where they're interviewing Eugene Levy. His character is kind of funny. And they're asking uh, about if he's the class clown. And his response, I love. He goes, well, no, no. People ask me if I was the class clown. But no, I wasn't. But I sat next to him. And I studied him. And I reference that because that's kind of my background. I never, in the old theater career, I never really went through any formal voice training you know, I was taking classes in design and management and then taking the jack-of-all-trades approach of being the stage manager and putting it all together. So I had no lighting, I had no sound, I had to know all the ingredients, yet it was someone else's job to be the expert. I knew enough to be able to point at the light and say, that one needs to turn on. But making it turn on, that was someone else's job. So I reference that because all these points I'm going to share on tonality and pausing and pacing and voice... Well, I never took that vocal training, but I was in the room. <laughs> and I'd even reference, oh, I hate to give this statement. Uh, you can learn the most about directing theater by watching bad theater. You can learn the most about watching how to direct and how to interact with people by watching people who don't know how to do it properly. You know, sometimes you just had to give a specific note about, okay, that discovery is great, but it has to happen on that little green dot on the floor. Otherwise, the light's not on you. Um, or sometimes the actor would be wanting to say something so quietly, yet they couldn't hear it in the audience. And very often in a smaller theater, it's not appropriate to put microphones on people. Um, well, hesitate for this statement. Sometimes you're doing some sort of theater that also involves types of nudity on stage, and where are you going to hide the microphone? Let your minds wander. So <laughs> playing with tonality, pausing, and pacing. The best reference to give you for this is to perhaps go listen to and listen for the modifiers, a really good musical album, a really good album from start to finish from someone who you really like in music. And anyone, it can be current pop music, it can be something from years ago, it can be whatever. And to specifically listen to it, and what you'll notice is not every song, hopefully, sounds the same. Perhaps here's the ballad, here's the upbeat song, here's the one that tells a story, here's the one that's just kind of general themes, whatever it might be and especially a good concert. I always go back to the example, um, this is weird for me, I'm really just not a concert person. Um, I enjoy, well, I enjoyed live theater, I enjoyed uh, stand-up comedy, 
But sitting and watching a band play, even if it's a group that I really, really enjoyed, just something about it just never clicks for me. I'm just not a live music person. I don't, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's yet to be a challenge, so I haven't had the need to work on it directly. Um, but to go watch a performer, there was a time, it was Mother's Day several years ago, I surprised my mom with tickets to go see Willie Nelson. She's a huge fan. It was a great concert. And what I loved about his show, though, was that it was three hours long, his band took two breaks, he never left the stage, and at the end of it, he sat at the end of the stage and signed anything that people wanted and just talked to people. But here's the upbeat song, here's the slow ballad one. Uh, there was a time that I helped to coordinate the opening of an art center, and um, the opening act, they had arranged for Tony Bennett to be there. And this moment was orchestrated, uh, but really not orchestrated, because there's a moment where it was a big band number with the music and all the instruments behind him, and he goes, this space is beautiful, guys, take a break, and he sings Fly Me to the Moon, completely a cappella, without the music behind him. What am I getting at here? There's variations of rhythm. There's variations of energy. And I hate to draw a generalization here, but most, not all, but most stage hypnotists I see, the show's kind of at the same rhythm the entire time. In a moment, this is what's going to happen, and now this is happening, now it's happening more and more in sleep. And in a moment, I'm going to count from one to three, and, this was, and the entire show is at one energy. There's amazing strength in breaking that rhythm. Even to the point that, admittedly, the way that in a hypnosis session that I do the Aaron's 1, Aaron's 2, small muscle, large muscle, catalepsy, eye lock, and arm lock, there's a bit of energy behind it. But then sometimes I'll go into a demonstration of the hand sticking to the chair. Yet I'll specifically, and I'll even call myself out on this, and in this moment I'm just going to talk to you. I'm not using any special language. I'm not using any rhythm to try to excite you into it. I'm just talking to you. But notice now that your hand is sticking to the chair. The more you try to pick it up, it sticks even tighter. And it almost gets an even better response by the lack of presentation, the lack of energy I put behind it. So remembering a couple of points. Now, of course, there is the legend that's out there that William Shatner was one time on stage and he couldn't remember his lines, but noticed the audience was listening true or not, that rhythm, that Shatner, that uh, people with interesting speech patterns, um, John Malkovich, uh, William Shatner, um, who am I think? Christopher Lloyd's a great example, um, as well as Christopher Walken, you know, people whose speech pattern, they're just interesting. There's even an interview at one point, I think, with John Malkovich, where he says, I'm really not a great actor. I just speak in a really unique way. Perhaps, perhaps not. Uh, but just model some of that and just notice what's different. There's also strength in stillness, just to stand there and just deliver the words and just let the words do the work for you. And in all of this too, I'd tell a quick story that actually dates back to my previous career. Um, this was a director who actually has won several Tony Awards. Um, in the cast of this production, many people of that caliber and a few of the younger characters were actors just out of grad school. And there's a beautiful moment where there is a young actor arguing with the director because the director had asked him to turn his back on the audience. Now, if you've ever even been in a school play back to elementary school, the lesson is always never, ever, ever turn your back on the audience. Always stand so they can see your face. So here's this 
person who, well, let's admit it at this point, is tens of thousands of dollars in debt. He's in his very first, from grad school loans, he's in his very first professional production. And the director's now making him stand with his back to the audience. Oh no, that can't happen. And the director very, very smartly stood up, walked over, and whispered in a voice the entire rehearsal hall could hear it. He made a statement first just to grab his attention. I'm giving you a gift. Because the moment your back is on the audience, I'm going to let you turn around and face the audience once again. I'm giving you an opportunity to make a second entrance. And when you make that second entrance, all of the eyes of every audience member out there, they're going to look at you and they're going to hear your next line. Well, you can imagine the ego of that uh, young actor just inflated. And actually, it became a bit of a game because he was trying to uh, uh, he was trying to get more opportunities to turn his back to the audience ever since that moment. So why do I tell that story? Again, well, go back and listen to it again and notice the way the rhythm began to change and how drawing you into the story. But specifically, breaking some of the expectations of things we're told not to do. By analyzing, we can find the opportunities that come out of it as well. Another thing that's a little bit more technical in nature, again, I was not doing the actual vocal training, but I was in the room. Let's talk about voice for a moment. Um, number one rule, stay lubricated, drink lots of water. Don't drink too much water that you only can go 10 minutes into your talk and have to excuse yourself. So be mindful of that. Learn from my mistake. But simple principles, limiting alcohol, limiting caffeine, even limiting dairy prior to that talk. These are all things the caffeine and the alcohol dry you out. And also the dairy kind of just tax things up. So oddly enough, uh, I have become a person that, well, I'll do five, six sessions in a day and I'm in there for eight or nine hours doing a number of calls and coaching sessions by phone as well on top of that. And uh, I've got to keep my instrument properly tuned. So I will nowadays um, match caffeine for water. So cup of coffee, cup of water right afterwards or with it as well. And uh, along with that, I just nowadays will not have dairy until I've left my office. It just gums up the works, as it were. Let's move into another piece of technical knowledge. Should you memorize your talk? Well, it takes a really, really good actor to take someone else's words and make them sound as if they're own. You know, as you're looking through various hypnotic scripts, when you see the words, that's right. Keep in mind that that script may have been transcribed, and where that hypnotist said that's right is not necessarily where you should be saying it. However, in a theatrical production, the words that's right, the actor then has to find the meaning and the motivation to use those words. Which, let's kind of wrap up this bit about referencing back to the theater, though, with another quick story, uh, which I'd begin with a bit of a riddle. What's the best way to insult an actor? Well, you go up to them after they've come off stage. And you then look at them and say to them, wow, how do you learn all those lines? And what you've now essentially done is taken a pouring out of the soul on stage and reduced it down to a memory stunt. Wow, how do you learn all those lines? But it's helpful to actually think about how actors learn lines. They begin, if it's a classical play around tables. And they begin to do what's called table work. They go scene by scene, line by line, analyzing the text, analyzing the script. There might even be historians in the room that are helping to do this work. So what's interesting is later in rehearsal, if an actor is forgetting his lines, the amateur director, 
will get angry. Why can't you memorize those lines? Why aren't you doing your work at home? The professional director will ask a question. What's your character trying to say there? And chances are, as if he was reading his mind, the actor doesn't know what the motivation of that scene is. Now, once they work on it, as if it's some sort of magic trick, the actor then knows the words. So how do actors memorize those lines? They attach meaning to it. So again, what I'd recommend is go back to part one of this Hypnotic Tips for Public Speaking, reviewing the order of your content. If your order flows in the proper order, the memory is going to naturally be there. But I'd share with you the next bit of my tips actually points to a bit of technology that I make use of. I don't like working from note cards. It's a challenge to then begin to work with those pieces of paper and look away. And as much as it's an expectation, as much as it's kind of a hack thing in some environments, I've become more and more a fan of using PowerPoints. Visuals are a nice bonus. It's a nice way of adding some multimedia to the presentation and adding some interaction as well. Now, I share the biggest compliment that I received from the presentation I gave last year at the convention, which again is perhaps part of the... Um, part of the uh, voting that I got that Armin McGill award at the convention this year. Um, the, the weirdest advice, the weirdest compliment I got about that presentation was that I never once looked at the screen. Imagine that, doing a PowerPoint presentation and I never looked at the screen. Once. My eyes stayed focused towards the audience. Well, I didn't spend hours and hours memorizing my presentation. Instead, I used a simple piece of technology that most people don't know is possible. Maybe there's your laptop, as I do it, connected to a projector, which is then named, then aimed at the screen. And what you can do in your computer settings, now if you don't know how to do this, look it up on YouTube, chances are a 14-year-old is explaining it there for you, um, is you can set up your PowerPoint to work with something called Presenter View. You're basically going to want to set your, your projector to be as if it's a second monitor. And the screen on your laptop, you want that to now be in what's called presenter view, which you can set that up to be a two-screen format, a two-sided format. On the left side of the screen is the slide that's up on the screen right now. And on the right side of the screen is the slide that's coming up next. So what's great about that, and I like to do a slow reveal of information rather than the screen of all the text at once, you know, bullet points will reveal as I talk about them. That way you're not reading ahead and not actually listening to me. That's my method for keeping you engaged with me as well as interacting with the text as well. See it, hear it, again, work those representational systems. So I can glance down at that laptop, which is table height in front of me off to the side, and see what's coming up next. I've got a little presentation remote in my hand and just hit the button and it's as if I'm psychic as I'm speaking about it, the information appears on the screen. So what are the two things you want to look up? You want to put, and I'm going to not do a screenshot on this just because with a Mac, with a PC, again, it's going to be different. Look it up on YouTube, search online. It's very easy to do. You want your projector set up as a second screen, and you also want your presentation screen on your laptop to be in what's called presenter view. Um, as always, anyone who's ever tried to watch a PowerPoint presentation before, bullet points are great. Don't do big, massive paragraphs unless you're analyzing a script and analyzing a longer process. And I'll give you a quick tip on that. Designing is not my skill. So for the presentations I just did at the NGH convention, I designed them in a very basic rudimentary format, and then I outsourced the design. For $25, someone actually made all my slides look beautiful and got some great feedback even on that, and I didn't have to do it. 
not my skill, shouldn't be doing it. This next thing I'm going to reference is, again, another piece of just general nuts and bolts, but perhaps has a little bit to do in terms of hypnosis and future pacing, which is perhaps something that I used to be guilty of, but now I've overcome this challenge as much as I can. And that is to speak about what you're about to speak about. Let me say the negative. Don't be up there talking about all the things you're not going to be able to talk about. So I've already referenced the challenge of I gave a presentation that was two hours in length of something I could spend five days talking about, just something I love doing, automation. So I could have spent all that time talking about this video server, this thing and that thing that I'm using and this piece of technology and this landing page format and this converts better and why only ask for an email address. I could have spent all the time in all these smaller chunk detail things, yet for the shape of two hours, it just wasn't appropriate. So what's the rule? If I'm not going to talk about it, I'm not going to bring it up. So that's, again, a benefit of reviewing the order of my content, going through the information and actually reviewing what it is I'm there to actually talk about. Do not continuously remind your audience of what you're not there to talk about. And I'll give you an example of this. You know, if perhaps we're using our hypnosis and NLP skills and perhaps we're giving a presentation to some business owners about how they can use rapport building skills in their businesses, you know, that can then begin to vary off into all sorts of other things about how to then begin to break rapport and then reestablish it and how to do uh, cross-matching and, you know, all this other things and all the different ways we can begin to shift states, which is far beyond the context of maybe a 45-minute talk if that's all the time we have. So what's my advice? Don't bring it up. If you're not there to actually talk about that thing, don't bring it up. It's a hard habit to break. But it's something that just with experience, it becomes easier and easier and easier. So a short talk may need to be more concise. The same way that in this presentation, it's been separated into two parts, and yet each and every one of these bullet points could have been its own separate podcast. So if there's one of these things that you want more information in terms of what I mean by it, go on to worksmarthypnosis.com, find the show notes for these two parts, and leave your comments, leave your questions there, and I'll take requests to do another program as well. So back into our NLP skills, let's specifically talk about anchoring. And again, in the context of this brief presentation, I can get into all other sorts of things. You see, I'm doing it already. But instead, I want to talk specifically about spatial anchoring. What do I mean by that? Imagine a map on the floor. And consider this. Maybe at sometimes throughout your presentation, you have to motivate people away from something. And sometimes in your presentation, you have to motivate people towards something. Sometimes you have to talk about a negative, and sometimes you have to talk about a positive. Draw an imaginary map on the floor. And in terms of your movement, stand in one specific place when it's time to talk about the negatives. And then perhaps when you're bringing up the other alternatives out there in terms of what people would do besides hypnosis to address their issue, revisit that space and stand there again, as if you have conditioned that area of the room with a negative energy. Now, if you're talking about something exciting and funny and interactive, stand in one other space. And then when it's time to motivate people towards that action, get back into that same area and repeat the sequence again. So what does this accomplish? You're moving with intention. And specifically with this point, you know, the question could be raised, is that an exact science? Will it work for 100% of the people 100% of the time? And of course, all you can answer to that is maybe. 
but maybe not, which is why, again, you want to layer in other strategies on top of other strategies. However, consider maybe you've seen that uh, Will Ferrell movie, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. If you haven't seen it, watch it just for the first five minutes. There's Will Ferrell as a race car driver being interviewed for live TV, and he's standing with his arms in a funny position just saying, I don't know where to put my hands. You know, most people who are not that comfortable speaking are going to begin to do awkward things. They'll pace, they'll gesture too much or too little. They'll begin to repeat phrases. They'll begin to just vamp for time. They'll begin to do all sorts of things that demonstrate that nervousness. So if you're marking parts of the ground, parts of the room in terms of energies, positive and negative, and then presenting your information within that, well, I'd ask you this question. Are you really hypnotizing the audience in terms of those positive and negative states? Or are you really hypnotizing yourself now to be moving with intention and speaking with better clarity and focus? Well, to that, I'd say the answer is absolutely both. And whatever it takes to give a great presentation, go in and make it happen. One final tip. One final tip that I think is one of the most neglected parts of uh, public speaking as well as really all advertising. And that is to make a specific call to action. Now, let me explain what I mean by that, to make an offer. Now, of course, know your audience. At most conventions and even most opportunities where you be able to get up and give a presentation, like giving a talk at a rotary group or a business group, it's perhaps a little inappropriate to be up there and give an extended sales pitch. And indeed, I've found the model of trying to push for the sale tends to push too many people away when not done properly. It's a skill that has to be learned. So make a specific offer. And again, go back to the session all about list building. Don't sell hypnosis. Don't sell results. Sell the next step. So specifically, when I'm giving a talk to like a business group, I don't try to sell my service right away. I'm selling a next step. Wasn't that wonderful? Would it be great if you could relax that quickly at work? Well, I've put together a 10-minute stress relief self-hypnosis session. You can make use of it at home, in your office, wherever it's appropriate to close your eyes. I sell that on my website. It's $30, and I want to give that as a gift to all of you here today for welcoming here and listening to this program. I'll pass around a clipboard, share your email address. I'll send that by the end of the business day. I like to give that type of offer, by the way, about the end of the business day. I like to shock people. I like to surprise people in terms of customer service. Uh, I've actually been using, let me give a quick tip, a quick nod to this software that I was using recently. Uh, right now, it's only on the iPad. It's called iCapture. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And what this specifically is, is an opt-in form you can program on your iPad. It connects with every CRM out there. So it connects with all the ones that I referenced back in that list building session. And what's great about it is if you're connected to the network, either cellular or Wi-Fi, uh, it then triggers the campaign instantly. So there I've been at recent conventions, recent events, and I get to surprise people when they enter their email address into this thing. And I get to pause for two seconds, five seconds to say, hey, check your phone. I want to see something. And they've already got my email. That just blows people away. Just operation, excellent customer service. So again, make a specific offer. Give a specific call to action. Don't just wrap up and say, thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. Put it to use. Uh, you're doing your audience a disservice by not giving a call to action. If you've done your job, if you've given your presentation correctly, people will want more for you. People will want more from you if you've done your job. So what could that offer be? It could be a download. It could be resources. And I love to share this tactic. 
And this is what I've been doing at a number of presentations, is specifically if I'm using PowerPoint. I'll notice the group is furiously trying to write down the information from my slides, and I'll comment on that. Hey, I see you furiously writing down, and uh, if you like, I'll share my slides with everybody here later in the program. And people relax. They sit back, they stop writing as much. They'll maybe take fewer notes. And then I'll share a resource, much the same way I've referenced here. Oh, um, iCapture. It's a great app. It's a paid service, by the way. It's an annual fee. It's worth every penny from the experience, from the benefit I found from it. Right now, it's not an affiliate program. Man, I wish it was. Um, but it's a great program. Of course, by the time you listen to it, it might be. But, um, you know, I'll reference that. Oh, yeah. Well, how do you spell that? Well, I'll put it in the resources I'll share with everyone here today. So I'm building anticipation towards those offers. I'm building anticipation towards those resources so that when here comes the opportunity, you can opt into my list. That group is ravenous for that information. And I'd share using this strategy. I typically have, I'm not going to be bold and say 100%, but pretty close to it. Um, you know, I'll have everybody in the group wanting those resources. So what could that be? It could be a download. It could be resources. It could be a list of tools that you use. It could be a script. It can be whatever you can imagine. It could be a video. It can be anything you can think of. And again, if you have done your job correctly, it's perfectly appropriate. Again, though, know your audience. If it's not appropriate to sell from the speaking position in that group, don't do it because it's so much better to be welcomed back than to not be welcomed back at all. So with that in mind, again, always give a call to action. I trust that you found some value in this information, and I know there's a lot of it. And sometimes as I roll forward, it's the, spe it's the specificity, it's the specific words that I've used that made it really easy. So, get ready for the pitch, you could go back and listen to part one and part two of this Hypnotic Tips for Public Speaking. And you could try to furiously write down the words that I used. However, wouldn't it be great if someone made that very easy for you? Here it comes. I'll make it easy for you. Uh, specifically, this is going to be with session 14. This isn't referenced with uh, session 13, which is part one of this hypnotic tips for public speaking. Um, the URL for this is going to be much longer, so I'll make a short version. If you go to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 14. One four worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 14. I'll just make that redirect to the show notes of this session, part two. And in that entry, in that listing, you'll see a little button to get instant access to a full transcript of this entire program, part one and part two. That's going to cost me a bit of money to have someone else do that. But I want you to learn this information. I want you to put this stuff into use. And indeed, after you get those those notes, that transcript, after you go back and re-listen to this again, and after you've put this information into use, come back to the page once again, leave your comments, let me know what kind of benefit, what kind of results you've had with it. How's that for an offer? This stuff works. Again, it's Jason Lynette here, Work Smart Hypnosis. This has been Parts 1 and 2, Hypnotic Tips for Public Speaking. I look forward to hearing of your success very soon. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. Please visit the WorkSmart Hypnosis podcast listing on iTunes and share your positive feedback.